Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number 3. And uh, this summer we have begun walking our way through this good book. I praise the Lord for the good teaching that's there. Let me again, uh, just before we get started, remind those of you that are uh, in the book club with us on Sunday afternoons at 4.30. We'll be meeting this afternoon and of course uh, come having read chapter 3 and 4 of the book if at all possible. If you weren't able to get it read this week, that's okay too, still come and uh, we'll have good discussion. Why do we believe in the Christian faith? So Nehemiah chapter number 3, and uh, some of you have been perusing this book and this chapter this past week, you might be thinking, in fact, somebody said to me early on in the series, they said to me, I can't wait till you get to chapter 3. That is, how in the world are you going to preach a sermon from chapter number 3? It's a whole bunch of, they built and they built and they built and they built. So, what we're going to do today, I believe that in these first five verses of Nehemiah 3, really we can pull out the, the lessons and the main idea of the text for the entire chapter. And so uh, I just want to uh, read these verses, have a word of prayer, and then we'll see what it says. Reading along, verse number 1, chapter number 3. Then Eliashab the high priest arose with his brothers the priest and built the sheep gate. And they consecrated and hung its doors, and they consecrated the wall of the tower of the hundred and the tower of Hananel. Next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur the son of Imri built. Now the sons of Hesaniah built the fish gate, and they laid the beams and hung the doors with all of its bolts and bars. And next to them Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hezekiah, or Hakaz, made repairs. And next to him Meshulam, the son of Berkiah, the son of Meshizabel, made repairs. And next to him Zadok, the son of Bana, also made repairs. Years ago when I was in Bible college, a friend of mine told me one time, he said, now listen, when you're preaching through the Old Testament you come across all those crazy names, just say them with confidence and everybody in your congregation, they don't know any better. <laughs> Part of the reason why we didn't have a deacon read Scripture this week is I didn't want to put them through that kind of torture. I'm not sure if we have any hay causes in here today. But uh, aside from all of these names, these people are building... I think that this scripture and the points that we can pull out of here today will help us as believers in our own life to live lives that are conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I also believe that it speaks to every person in this room today, whether saved and following Jesus or whether you're lost and undone without Christ and whether you just maybe showed up here today a little bit skeptical about all of that. I want us to look and see what the Lord would have for us. So would you join me in just a, a word of prayer as we ask the Lord to visit us in this time and teach us His Word. Father, now we do come to You. We thank You for Your grace and mercy and kindness. Lord, we thank You for a beautiful Lord's Day to meet together. And our brothers and sisters all around the world, Lord, we thank You for them. And we pray that their worship would be pleasing in Your sight. And Lord, that service would be done. And, and Lord, we thank You for the good singing and all of the fellowship today. And now we come around Your Word. And Lord, I pray that uh, every heart in here would pull up to the dinner table. And I pray that we would feast upon Your Word and that You would teach us and train us, Lord. 
Not so that we could just walk out and say we're smarter than we were before we came, but so that we would have life transformation. That Your Word and Your Son and the Spirit of God would work so mightily in our lives that we would be changed for Your glory forever. And that we would live and serve You all the days of our life. And we will thank You for what You do now in this hour by way of Your powerful Holy Spirit. For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. This past week I was doing a little bit of reading about this guy from Romania. And his name is Stefan Sigmund. And back at the turn of the century, this dude, uh, he got a wild hair somewhere. He wanted to be famous all by himself. And so he invented a machine that would allow him to smoke 800 cigarettes at one time. He was trying to get into the Guinness Book of World Records for smoking the most cigarettes in one month. I'm telling you what, 800 cigarettes, man, I'm telling you what, that would pass you out, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be terrible. Well, little, little, little did he know that the uh, uh, Guinness Book of World Records, they weren't going to allow those kind of records anymore. So he smoked 800 cigarettes at one time for nothing. Well, then he went and he decided that he was going to get into the Guinness Book of World Records for eating the most hard-boiled eggs in one moment, one sitting. So he ate 29 hard-boiled eggs in one sitting. Now you all are ready for lunch, aren't you? Then he found out after he ate them that Guinness Book of World Records was not going to allow that to be a world record. And so in desperation, old Sigmund decided that he would jump off of this canyon, a 135-foot jump into this lake, but he didn't take the time to realize or to do the research to realize that just before he made that 135-foot jump, another man across the world made a 176-foot jump. I find that in a lot of our lives, we spend most of our time looking for self-glory. In fact, most of, our, most of our world and most of our society highlights for us self-exaltation. Where we lift it up and it's about me. And it doesn't bother you when you watch football. And I'm longing for football season to be back around. But you watch, uh, you watch a football game and I mean some dude tackles somebody with a shoelace and gets up and beats his chest as if he is the greatest thing that's ever existed. The truth of the matter is, when we come to the Scripture, the Scripture has none of this idea. In fact, the only hero in Scripture, the only one that stands out over and against and above everybody is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible would say, both in the Old Testament, the children of Israel as they build the wall in this chapter, and the New Testament, the church, which is just simply the full manifestation of God's universal people that have put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we are a team that we work together, that God is on our side and we are on His side. And the greater idea here is that we work together for the good of humanity and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so from this text, I just want to point out to you maybe four points today. You can write them down. The first one is teamwork, right? I want to show you that in the text, that there is a teamwork that comes to the Christian life. Not only is there teamwork, but we ought to have a focus in our life, some soul organizing principle and purpose that carries us along through this life. And it'll be teamwork. There ought to be this focus. There must be determination in our Christian lives. And the last one is Jesus, just simply because you can't preach a sermon without getting out of it without Jesus somewhere. All right? Teamwork, focus, determination, 
and Jesus. Let me see if I can show you this. First of all, when I say teamwork, now do you see there in those first five verses this phrase where it says in verse number 2, next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur the son of Imri built, and now the sons of Hassaniah just built the fish gate, and they laid its beams and hung its doors with bolts and bars. And then look at verse number 4. Next to him. You see that phrase there? Next to him, next to him. Uh, there's other places in this chapter where it says after them or after that person. And 28 times in one chapter, the phrase here is next to him. And I just want to speak uh, as a pastor and a shepherd to our church here that uh, we always have to have this unity and diversity in God's people and we have to work as a team. We have to work as the body of Christ. And we are to work next to each other. We're to help each other, to love each other, to work for each other, to sustain when others are weak and to be on task at the same goal. We are to all be pushing in the same direction. And sometimes in church life, everybody wants to go their own direction, has their own ideas. I want to say that good is the man and good is the woman and good are the children and good are the youth who understand in their life that it's not always about pushing after your goal, but it's the collective body of Christ pushing and hammering and working together after one common goal for Jesus Christ. There has to be a teamwork that's going on. This person built next to that person. They bled with them when they cut their hands with a hammer. They sweat in the heat with them. They smelled because there was no deodorant in those days. They worked side by side with each other. And I want to ask Emmanuel Baptist Church in your heart, right where you are, whether you've been here 50 years, 10 years, or this past week, are you pulling the train in the same direction as everybody else? Are you working as a team? Or are you working for your own glory? In this passage here, when I say teamwork, you understand that there's two components of teamwork. There's unity and there's diversity. Unity and diversity. So what we have here is this unity that all of these people, all of these hodgepodge of people, they come around and the one common goal they have is our city is destroyed, uh, the enemy is out there, and we have to build the walls and start again. We have to build a wall so our, our, our families and our homes and our lives, so we have safety, so the glory of God can be brought down upon this place. And there is a unified people that come together and they don't argue, they don't fuss, they don't fight, they stay right at it together in unity. But you know what? God's people are not just cookie-cutter people. Not everybody has the same personality. Not everybody has the same likes and the same dislikes, but we work together. Unity and diversity. If you were to read a little bit farther in this chapter, in verse number 1, do you know who the first people are to build? The priests. Ephraim is a priest. He's supposed to go down there and build. He doesn't say, I'm going to sit up in my office and, and study my books all day. He doesn't say, I'm going to go in there and make all the sacrifices. He says that the people of God are going to build the walls of this city and I'm going to walk down there with them, pick up my hammer, and join them together. Later on in this chapter, you see goldsmiths. You know that later on in this chapter, you see people that are perfume workers. I don't even know what you call them. The only time I think about perfume workers is when you walk through the mall in one of those fancy shops and when you walk by the lady spritzes you and tries to draw you in and get you to buy something you don't want. Come on now, y'all know you like that, right? You know when you're walking through the mall and all those people at the kiosk, you're just like, mm-hmm, 
please Jesus, don't talk to me. If I don't make eye contact, they don't have to say anything. There are goldsmiths, there are priests, there's perfume workers, there's men, there's women, there's children, there's all kinds of people that are building. You know the one group of people that it doesn't say not one lick about in building those walls? Masons. Concrete workers. Builders. Now I'm sure that there must have been builders, otherwise the wall would have been going like that. Somebody had to know something. But isn't it interesting, in all of those verses, all of those people, all of those folks working together as a team under one purpose, with one mind, unity and diversity, all kinds of people around, one teamwork together, that not one of them has all of the skill in the world, and they each need each other. Is that how you are here? Is that how we are? My brothers and my sisters, there are people outside of these doors who don't know our church, and when they come in here, they need to see one people of God working in teamwork together, unified and diversified. You do understand that's the word where we get the word university, right? Uni meaning one, and versity meaning many, and so in Latin it would be out of the many one. And that's what happens or should happen when you go to university. You're exposed. It's one purpose coming out of there. It should be. These days it's not. But it should be the one purpose for the knowledge of the human race. And yet you're diversified. You're uh, all these kind of various people. And they all speak into your life from different directions. It's kind of the way the church is. When you, when you come into this place, hey, all these people, these are your brothers and sisters. These are your, this is your family. Are you on the same page with everybody in here? Maybe I'll just take a second premature application. Do you have any angst or resentment or unresolved issues with anybody here? Don't be fractured. Go and make it right today. My friends, if you maintain in your heart some sort of resentment towards somebody else that's a part of this church and you don't make that right, make it right. We've got to be a team. We've got to work together. This, the children of Israel are building a wall and they're working together. Are you working together? Are you lifting each other up? Are you supporting? You know what else it says in there? That sometimes some people would go out and they would have the swords in their hand to defend against the enemy and somebody else would go and build where their house was. Do you do that? Do you lift up the hands of Moses? Do you, do you find other brothers and sisters in the church that are living and doing and going and being for Christ? Do you find areas where they could use help in their life? Do you send texts and emails and cards and phone calls and support the body of Christ? Do you encourage each other? Do you welcome each other? Teamwork. Let me hit the second point here. We've got to have a focus. Uh, if you look back in the text, you, you'll notice that uh, about six times it is the word in verse 1 through 5. He uses the word for built, or it might be to rebuild. And uh, the word there means that they, they used the materials that they had. It says they built, and then the next one says that they repaired. And that word simply means that they made it strong, they made it hearty, they made it to spec. 
And I think what's interesting here is that we're supposed to have one focus, that is the glory of God for reaching the nations with the gospel. And these people here, they have this one purpose of building this wall. They use the materials that they have. They make it the very best that they can possibly make it. And then you see where it's repeated again and again. The bolts and the locks, they made it safe. And God has given us a task in this church to bring glory to Him by spreading the gospel and making disciples of all nations. And we are to use the materials that we have you don't need some sort of dynamic personality you don't need the greatest of this and the greatest of that use what you have we are God's people all that God wants Emmanuel Baptist Church to be he can use the tools that exist in this room But not only did they use the existing material to have this one solitary focus to build the wall, they, they repaired it. That is, they, they made it the very best that they possibly could. They left nothing out. Man, you ever build something for your wife or your children and just tell them that the bolts that are left over are extras? Come on, man. Y'all, don't leave me hanging. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Baby, that's in case something goes wrong in the years to come. They give you extras. Truth of the matter is, you don't have any idea where they went. (laughs) Don't leave anything out. Hey, let me just talk to you for a minute. When you, as a believer, you live this life, don't leave anything left on the table that you could have used for God. Because one day God will ask you why you did. Some of you in this room, you know, we've got a multi-generational church. We've got young, old, we've got everything in between. Hey, listen, when, you, when you're 70 years old, don't put that thing on cruise control and let everybody else do it. Don't leave what you have on the table. So I'm going to burn out. Well, then burn out for Jesus and go on to glory. You'd be happier that way than when you get to the end and stand before Him and He says, hey, listen, you know that last 15 years you had? What would you do with that? Did you pray? Did you encourage? Did you disciple anybody that was younger in the church? Did you help them with that? And some of us in here, you know, you, you, hey, listen, I know, because right, I'm, that's, my, that's my age, that's where I am. We all have our dreams and aspirations and desires and things we want to do. And hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I want to say there's nothing wrong with ambition when it is submitted underneath the leadership of God Almighty. Somebody, somebody, somebody asked me one time, being a Christian, does that stymie creativity and, and ambition? No. In fact, being a Christian will help you take your ambition and keep you from screwing your life up and everybody else around you. If you have ambition that is not underneath the Lord Jesus Christ, what will happen is it will all be about you and you'll go and go and go until you get what you want and you'll walk over everybody in your path. But if you'll take your ambition and submit it underneath the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ, He will change your heart until what He wants done is what you want done and then you'll live for Him and help everybody else along the way with you. Do you have a purpose Are you on board with what we're doing here? <laughs> There's a leadership book. I won't tell you, tell you which one right now because I forgot. But 
somewhere in the middle of that book, I forget the dude's name, but he has a great, uh, great little part of that. He talks about having a, uh, having a head, hedgehog idea. And uh, the idea is that the hedgehog, all, all it does is just one thing when the enemy comes, just, just seizes up and off come the needles. He has this hedgehog idea. And he says, every, every church and every person ought to have some sort of thing that's a hedgehog idea. And they just beat the drum and beat the drum and beat the drum. And let me tell you something. Here at this church, we don't, you're right. We don't do everything in the world. And, and I'm okay with that. You know what we do here? We bring glory to God by doing about three major things evangelism we tell everybody we can about jesus we have these services every week we worship we preach the gospel we preach the book we do evangelism that's what we do and we're going to try and get better at it. we're going to try and provide training for for people that want training but that's every week that's what i tell you go invite somebody to come to church go share your testimony with somebody go share the gospel if you don't know how to share the gospel come and talk to me we'll help you learn but that's what we believe we, we bring glory to god by evangelism telling people about jesus christ and so uh, there might be a thousand other good ideas but this church we do evangelism you know what else we do here we do missions you just saw these people on stage we are unashamed of it. We do local missions, North American missions. We're looking for overseas missions. We send people. We send money. Last year, we, we were trying to give more and more of our money away every year to these Armstrong, Annie Armstrong, and Lottie Moon, and all of these different offerings that go to spread the gospel. I have no problem standing in front of you a few times a year saying, give and give and give and give, because we want the gospel to go to all the nations in the world. And we want people everywhere to worship Jesus because they've come to faith in Christ. That's what we do. We live and breathe missions here. I would never tell you if you don't like it, find somewhere else, because I love it when you're here. But brothers and sisters, that's too what we do. We do evangelism, we do missions, and you know what else we do here? We do discipleship. We believe that God has called us to make fully mature believers in Christ. We want people to receive Jesus as their Savior, and then we teach them through our Sunday schools, through our small groups, through our teaching times, through our Sunday evenings, through our youth, through our children's church, through BAC in the fall, all the things that we do, all of that is wrapped up here to provide opportunity for you to grow and mature in Christ-likeness. Say, so, Steve, that sounds very simple. That's it. That's our hedgehog. It's what we do. We're going to, until, listen, until God calls me home or calls me somewhere else or until I die, listen, that's what we're going to do here. Evangelism and missions and discipleship. And we're just going to pray that God would honor that as we glorify Him. Amen? That's our focus. You on board with that? Huh? In your own mind, you just have to decide that. These people were focused on one thing, building the wall for the glory of God. This church is focused on one thing, bringing God glory by evangelism and missions and discipleship. That's just, just what we do here. That's what we're going to do. Hey, I'm going I'm to try and get better as a leader and help us and all of that stuff. But that's what we do. Amen. Let me give you a third part. Uh, determination. Look back down at the text. And this is a really, it's kind of weird and cool verse at the same time. Look at verse number, um, verse number four. Oh, great. I've got to read these names again. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, made repairs, and next to him Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs, and next to him Zadok, the son of Bana, also made repairs. You know what? That's not the verse I wanted to read. I just had to read those again for nothing. Verse number five. Moreover, next to him the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. 
They had these people, these Tekoites, first of all, they're not even a part of the children of Israel, but they see what's going on and they want to help out and so they come and pitch in. But listen to this, these Tekoites, they're pitching in, building the wall, helping out, doing everything that they should do. And you know what? Their sorry leaders are sitting there with their just just pucker lip and, and talking bad and they'll do nothing to help out the common people. But you know what those Tekoites did? No help from the leadership. They kept building, kept building, kept building. In fact, later on in the chapter, you'll see not only did these Tekoites build in that place, they built in two other places. Do you have that kind of determination? I just told you from the top down, it's what we're trying to do here is honor God through these, these vital avenues. And Brian and Jamie and myself, listen, we're, 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 going to, we're going to give everything we've got to try and honor God and love you and, and reach the nations with the gospel. We're going to give everything we got. But I want to ask you this. If we were sorry saps and we didn't do it, would you still serve Jesus? These people did. How much more should we take on the focus of God when we've got lady and clergy together, for lack of better terms, hammering out on the same vision, going the same direction? Do you have a determination in your heart to build and to work for Jesus Christ until He comes again? Is that what you have in your heart? Or maybe today you would say, I find myself in the position of one of these leaders where I'm so skeptical and I sit back and I look and if things happen to work out in the good direction, I want to be on board. But if they don't, I'll just pick it apart. Don't be that kind of person. Be the kind of person that climbs on board and serves Jesus. Can I just... I want to stop here for a second because I'm talking on the church level as well too. But let me hit home with every single relationship. I'm, I'm talking about you know, all of our singles and friends and, and work relationships. I'm talking about husbands and wives. I'm talking about uh, youth and parental relationships and all of this kind of thing. Hey, be the kind of person that is determined to follow Jesus and to do right until the stars fall. And don't, whatever you do, don't tear somebody down that's trying to live for Jesus. I don't know. My dad always said, if you can't say anything good, don't say it at all. Are you an encouraging person? Or are you the kind of person that tears others down? Get on board. Work at it. Be determined. Let me, let me for a second time, let me hit you with this last one here. So we need teamwork out of this chapter. We need some sort of purpose, focus, and I think we have that. We proclaim the gospel and reflect the kingdom. We bring glory to God through evangelism, missions, and discipleship. is what our church does. These people are building a wall. We're building a wall for God's people. Okay? I think that's fair. We need to be determined. Don't quit. When the going gets tough, just stay at it and work at it. Love Jesus and keep going. Working for Jesus is not always easy. I was messing around with Brian last week. We're trying to, we were trying to take two or three days during the week and hand out these door hangers in the area for vacation Bible school coming up. And as you can see, you know, Brother Steve is, is not the skinniest person that's ever lived. And I grabbed me some of those door hangers and I chose the wrong neighborhood. I went across the street over here. Every home in this subdivision, you got to walk 27 flights to get up to the door. I got to the second house. I'm wheezing. 
I got sweat so much, my door hangers are shredded in my hands. You want to come to vacation Bible school? I mean, there's nobody's coming from over there. Be determined. Just stay at it and stay at it and stay at it. Don't listen to all of those critical voices from the outside. Just keep loving and walking and moving on with God. Here's the last one. Jesus. <laughs> so Steve, how do you get to Jesus from Nehemiah 3? Well, look back at verse number 1. Then Elijah the high priest arose with his brothers. Notice this in the priest. And they built the sheep gate. They started at the sheep gate and then they go counterclockwise. They started the sheep gate and this is the only gate that they consecrated. They started the sheep gate and they consecrated. That is, they anointed. That is, they say, this is separate. This is good. This is where God is going to meet with His people. They hung its doors and then look at again the repeating phrase. They consecrated the wall all the way to the hunt tower of the hundred and the tower of Hanel. And then look at the last verse of this chapter. They end right where they begin. And the chapter is good to tell you this. Verse number 22, between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate and the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out the repairs. Where the chapter begins, the chapter ends. And what the author is trying to tell you is we have one goal, one purpose, one focus. We are all working together as a team and we are determined, but we recognize that there must be a sacrifice, that God must be honored, that God is the one running this whole show and we are doing it for His glory and His honor. And brothers and sisters, the Bible says that this sheep gate is where they brought in the sacrifices for the sins of the people and the believers that are a part of this church. We ourselves are not perfect people. We have sin in our lives. But aren't you thankful today that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross as our sacrificial lamb for our sins that we might honor Him. Amen. The Bible says in the New Testament, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse number 2, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, even Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse number 26, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to take away our sin through His sacrifice. Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number Two, Christ loved us and He gave Himself for us as a fragrant offering to God. Hebrews 7, verse number 27. He has provided a sacrifice for their sins through His own death. Jesus is the sacrifice that is brought in through the sheep gate so that men and women and boys and girls in this room don't just live a moralistically better life, but we build our walls and we stay on task and we have one purpose and we work as a team together and we're determined not because we're trying to earn our way into heaven, but because we have received the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins. Amen and amen. You've probably heard that Jesus is the sacrifice for your sins so many times, but I want you to understand that it holds massive implications for your life. Jesus as the sacrifice of the New Testament, that once for all, entering in on the cross for, for our sins, 
It has these implications for your life. First of all, it harkens back to the Old Testament and it reminds us that whenever a sheep or whenever a sacrifice was brought through that sheep gate, it had to be a perfect sacrifice. No blemishes, no problems. And when Jesus came into the world and He died for us on the cross, the Bible says that He was the perfect Lamb of God. Without blemish, without sin, without any defect, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins. He is the sinless Lamb of God that if we believe and trust in Him, He'll provide redemption for us. Where we all have sin, Jesus had no sin. Not only is Jesus the perfect Lamb of God, but I want you to understand that the Bible teaches that there is this transference of our sin into Jesus. The big word they use for that in the theological books is imputation. Impress all your friends at the water cooler tomorrow. It just simply means that in the Old Testament they would take that offering, that little lamb, and the, the priests would put their hands upon the lamb. And as they put their hands upon the lamb, and then they would kill it, they were transferring all of the sin of the people into the innocent sacrifice. And the Bible teaches that when Christ died for the ungodly, all of our sins were transferred and imputed into Him, and His righteousness was put inside of us. If you're a believer and you leave here today, don't ever forget that Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God and that your sin was transferred to Him on the cross. Every lie, every bad thought, everything you've ever done in your life was put upon Jesus on the cross. Not only was He perfect as the Lamb of God, not only did there transfer our sin into Him and His life into us, but you understand that Jesus, the Scripture says, is the substitution for you. You should have died on the cross. Furthermore, we all belong in the eternal judgment. But Jesus died in your stead. Jesus died for your sin. Jesus died because of you and me. That's the part of substitution that nobody really wants to hear anymore. Jesus died in my stead. Yes, He did. That's the substitute. Jesus died for me. Yes, He did. Jesus died because of you. And if you're here today, and the Spirit of God is working inside of you, and you know you're a sinner, you know you have failed, you have come short of the glory of God, I'm here to tell you that that lamb that we're talking about coming into this sheep gate, that is fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus. He is the perfect one to die for your sins. You, all of your sin can be put on Him and all of His life can be put into you. Jesus died because of you and instead of you. And lastly, let me say this. When Jesus dies as the lamb, He blots out every transgression and every sin you have ever committed or ever will commit. Don't you want that today? Don't you want to have all of your sins and all of your shame for all eternity taken away? The big word for that is the word expiation. Say, so how do you spell that? I don't know. Look it up. Google it. <laughs> it just simply means that God blots away all of our sin. I'll tell you this and I'll finish. We recently uh, 
our, our whiteboard in the conference room fell down and broke. And so this past week, the guys were putting one up in there, and I thought it was pretty neat. They, they got, a, they got a, a, a board to put up in there. You can use the markers on, but it's, uh, it's pretty neat. It's a little different than one we've had before. You ever use those whiteboards, and after a while, no matter how hard you race, no matter how much you spritz the stuff on there, there's always the faint little trail of the marker that was there in the past. Not with this board. You just wipe it, it's gone. That's what expiation is. That's what it means for Christ to blot out all of your transgressions. When Jesus died for you on the cross and you put your faith and trust in Him, listen, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's not just that He washes you clean, but there's still a little stain. There's still a little shame. And what you did four years ago and ten years ago, it's there in the back of your mind. I am telling you on the account of God, when you put all of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He washes all of our sins away. And you're clean. And you may be able to march up here 15 people that would say something about your life. I know who you are, what you used to do, and what you said when you didn't fulfill that promise. But I'm telling you in the eyes of God, you are clean through and through by the merciful, gracious sacrifice of Jesus. Man, I'm sorry. I'm just a little excited this morning. I will not stand before God based upon what I have done or what I have, good works that I have done. When I get to heaven, if He says, why should I let you into heaven? I'll simply say, not because of anything that I have done, but Jesus died for me. Jesus loved me. Jesus cleansed me. And He'll open up the gates and let me in. And that's a reason to rejoice. That's a reason to get on board with the mission of God. To work as a team. To be focused on sharing the gospel and making disciples. To be determined with everything that you have to serve Him. Why? Not because I'm trying to earn something, but because I already have something. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And I'm just going to give you a minute to, to pray right where you are. Just, you know, kind of heads bowed, eyes closed. I think everybody in here just appreciate us not looking around, see what everybody's doing. Maybe this is just a moment for you to pray. If you're in this room today, I, no matter me, whether you're a member or a visitor, and uh, you've never come to the place in your life where you just, man, just laid down in your heart and said, Jesus, I need you to cleanse me, to save me. I want to be, I, I want to be a Christian. I want to know you right where you are, right where you are in sincerity and humility. If the Spirit of God is working on your heart, just pray and talk to Him. Tell Him that you give up. Tell Him that you're not going to trust yourself and tell Him that you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again to save you. If you're here today and you're a believer, if you're a part of this church, I don't know, I just kind of, the most honest way I could tell you, this is what we're going to do. There's a thousand and one great things we can do, but this is what this church is going to do. We're going to tell people about Jesus and invite them to come worship with us. We're going to share the gospel in as many places in this world as we can possibly get to. 
And we're going to do the best we can to walk side by side with men and women and boys and girls and show them how to live for Jesus. Are you on board with that? Maybe you're visiting here today and know the Lord as your Savior. You're looking for a church that wants to do the same. This would be the place. In a moment, we'll stand and sing together. And just as Jamie said earlier, these altars are open if you want to come and pray. If you'd like to come down and talk with somebody about salvation, getting right with the Lord, joining the church, just slip around the side, come down toward the front, get our attention. We'd love to talk with you about it.